First Corinthians chapter number 15, I want to just take a few minutes and I want to just share with you some thoughts on sharing the message of the resurrection. As a young man, D.L. Moody, he was a preacher, was called upon suddenly as a young preacher to preach a funeral sermon. He hunted all through the four Gospels trying to find one of Christ's funeral sermons that he could pattern his after, and he searched in vain. He found that Christ broke up every funeral he ever attended. Death could not exist where he was. When the dead heard his voice, they sprang to life because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In Luke chapter number 24, before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave his disciples and really all of us a command, and that command was really to be a witness of the resurrection. He says in Luke 24 and verse 46, we're getting to 1 Corinthians in just a minute, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then he uses these words, and ye are witnesses of these things. There are a number of times in the word of God in the book of Acts where you see the disciples communicating the resurrection. When they were looking for a replacement for Judas in Acts chapter number 1, uh, the Bible says uh, in verse number 22, beginning from the baptism of John, unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. I'll not take the time to look at it, but there's probably close to a dozen passages of scripture in the book of Acts where the disciples took the words of Jesus to be a witness of the resurrection and communicated that witness to other people. First Corinthians chapter number 15, our text this morning, I want to show you a couple of verses. I want to give you three reasons why it is important to communicate the resurrection or to be a witness of the resurrection. Very simple, the Apostle Paul lays it out to this church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to see in verse number 17, actually let me read a few scriptures here, and then we'll have prayer, and then I'll give you the three reasons. Look at verse number 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's trying to help this church to see that Christ did rise. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins." Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we ask that you would help us in these few minutes that remain to understand truth, to communicate truth. Lord, you know each one that you've brought together for this service. You know the needs, the spiritual needs in each life. Lord, I'm just a vessel, a channel. I ask that you would flow through me. Lord, I can't do anything to help anyone, but I know you have the words of life, and you can. So, Lord, I ask that you would do what only you can do this morning and draw folks close to yourself. And, Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. The witness of the resurrection 
is important because it communicates a forgiving person. Look at verse number 17. Paul says this, If Christ be not raised, verse 17, ye are yet in your sins. In Romans chapter 4, in verse number 25, the Bible says this, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The word justification is a word there that means we can be declared righteous. Now we need to remember heaven's perfect. There's no sin in heaven and we're not. In order for us to get to heaven, some people think, hey, I got to work my way up to heaven. Some people think, hey, my good works have to outweigh my bad works. That's not the case at all. Because if God lets any bad works into heaven, heaven won't be perfect. It won't be heaven anymore. And so God sent Jesus, and Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, and Jesus died on the cross, and the Bible says that he was made sin for us who knew no sin. He was the perfect son of God. He didn't have sin of his own. Because he didn't have his own sin, he could die in our place. He could bear in his body our sins. And Romans 4 says that we can be justified or declared righteous. When an individual recognizes they've sinned against a holy God, and they come to the place where they realize that their sin can't, I mean, their good works can't get them to heaven, and they realize that they need to place their dependence, their faith in Jesus and his work on the cross. When an individual trusts Christ as Savior, Jesus forgives. He forgives their sin. But not only does Jesus forgive sin, he gives us Christ's righteousness. And what enables you and I to go to heaven is not our own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hence, we read the word in Romans 4, we are justified because he rose again. We can stand before God in heaven based on what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross. Praise the Lord. He died, was buried, and he rose again. And I'm so thankful that we don't have to be yet in our sins. Some people think this world is hopeless. There's no way out. No, Jesus forgives. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Ephesians chapter number 2, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What did he do? He saved us. He forgave our sin. He conquered sin and death. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2, there was a man that was sick. And the four guys decided they were going to try to get this man to Jesus. And they bring him to Jesus, and the house is full, and there's no way to get in to see Jesus. So they decide they're going to climb up on the roof, and they cut a hole in the house, and uh, they cut a hole, and they lower this man to Jesus. The man had an obvious sickness in his life. But Jesus says this to that individual. He said, thy sins are forgiven thee. It caused a little bit of an uprising with individuals because those around said, hey, nobody can forgive sins except God. And obviously Jesus was God. But the interesting thing is that Jesus is not just interested in helping us physically. He wants to help us spiritually. That's why he came and died on a cross. And so when we think about the message of the resurrection, Paul said to this church at Corinth, hey, 
it is important Jesus did arise. And if he didn't rise from the dead, you would be yet in your sins. You'd be stuck. And you'd have to spend eternity in hell. God would have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. God made it so any individual, rich or poor, smart or less smart. How's that? There's no dumbness. <laughs> talented or not talented. Anybody can say, God, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I want you to forgive me of my sin. And I'm placing my faith, my dependence in what Jesus did on the cross. And when we do that, he gives us his righteousness. And when we stand before God in heaven, he sees Jesus and his righteousness on our account. We're justified. Praise God. Can I say this this morning, if you're here today and you don't know 100% sure your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven, you can leave here this morning, probably be this afternoon. Well, it depends. we got 20 minutes. We'll see if it's morning or afternoon. We'll find out. You can leave here today and you can know I am on my way to heaven because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. There's no more work for me to pay. I can know I'm on my way to heaven because I place my faith in Jesus. He arose. And Paul said to this church, because he arose, you're not yet, you're not stuck. You don't have to spend eternity in hell. Now, individuals are in hell today. Sadly to say, there are people that are burning in hell today for all eternity. Because why? Because they thought, hey, I can somehow get there on my own. Do you know hell was created for the devil and his demons? It wasn't really created for human beings. God gave us a free will. He gave us a choice, and there are individuals that say, no, I'm going to do it on my own. No, I'm not a sinner. Sin has to be paid for. Either I have to spend eternity in hell and pay for my own sin, or I accept the payment of Jesus on the cross of Calvary for me. It's one or the other. Jesus died and rose again so that you can have forgiveness of sin, a forgiving person. I want you to see secondly as we go back to the text, the witness of the resurrection communicates not only a forgiving person, it communicates a fulfilling purpose. Look at the phrases in these verses. As you look at verse number 14, the Bible says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is our preaching vain you see that word vain in verse 17. If Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Verse number 19. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we have all ran men most, most miserable. The word vain is a word that means empty. He's saying to this church at Corinth, if Christ didn't rise, then life really has no purpose. The Bible says this. We all know this verse. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God Almighty created this planet. In Psalm 139, the psalmist said this, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only did the God of heaven make this planet and the sun and the stars, but God made you and I. Every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the image of of God. And the God that created us is the God that gives life meaning. What gives your life meaning? A lot of individuals are living for pleasure. A lot of individuals are living for popularity. 
They're living for fame. They're trying to rise to the top. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the people that rise to the, to the top are people that still aren't happy? They're still not satisfied. They still find an emptiness in their heart. You know, God created a void in every human being that can only be fulfilled by himself and a relationship with him. Isn't it amazing that the God that spoke this world into existence wants to have a close relationship with you? Jesus said in John 10, I am come that they might have life. The thief comes to kill and to destroy. The devil seeks to kill. The devil seeks to destroy. The devil seeks to deceive. But Jesus said this, I am come that ye might have life. And not just life, life more abundantly. I am come to give your life purpose, to give your life meaning. Paul wrote this to the church at Colossae, Christ, who is your life. Acts 17, for in him... We live and move and have our being. God wants to fill the void in your heart and in your life. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we have some writing from Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king that ever lived. Solomon was probably uh, the richest man that ever lived. The Bible says this. Check this out. You don't have to look at it. You can listen. If you want, you can go to Ecclesiastes 2. But listen to what Solomon says in verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 2. Imagine this. And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was the portion of my labor. Can you imagine going to the store? What's your favorite store? I know for guys, it's got to be like, you know, hardware, automotive. You know, for ladies, it's shopping. You know, you go to the shopping mall and you'll notice that all of the entryways are jam-packed full with ladies' stuff. You go to the store and you say, hey, can you tell me where the men's clothes are? Yeah, take the third floor up to the far elevator in the far left corner and you might find a few ties. You know, we hate to shop. But imagine, imagine going down to the dealership. Lexus, that sounds like a good car. And you get to the sports car, and you say, hey, give me one of these. I, I drive that one on Sunday. I drive that one on Monday. Let's go, let's go more than a week. How about a month? About 30 cars. Wait, I've got to get a bigger garage. You know what I'm saying? Solomon had whatever he wanted. And here's what he says in the next verse. He had women. He had money. He had pleasure. And he said, then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, all was vanity. It's interesting, he used the same word that the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, where he said, look, if Christ didn't rise, our life would have no purpose. All would be vanity, emptiness. God gives life purpose. God gives our life meaning. He put us here for a purpose. And only Jesus, the songwriter said this, can satisfy your soul. I tell you this, you can leave here and you can say, ah, 
I'm going to pursue fame. I'm going to pursue money. I'm going to pursue pleasure. I'm going to try to rise to the tippy top of, of, of life, and I'm going to be there. And I'll tell you what, the devil wants you to think that when you get to the tippy top of life, it's going to be utopia, and it's going to be emptiness. Now, I'm not against people doing the best they can and, 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 and doing what God wants them to do in life. And sometimes God allows individuals to, to go far. Hey, I can tell you this. There's nothing wrong with that. But if your purpose, if you're trying to find fulfillment in something that this life can give you, you're going to find yourself empty. Number three, I want you to see this and we'll be finished. The witness, we're going back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I want you to look at verse number 18. The Bible says this, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we oh, wrong reading the wrong verse, verse 18, then they also which are falling asleep in Christ are perished. I want you to see number three, the witness of the resurrection communicates a future prospect. If Christ didn't rise, those people that died are perished. There's no hope. But the Apostle Paul said, Christ did rise. And he writes this to the church at Thessalonica, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Hey, at some point, the trumpet's going to sound. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. If Christ didn't rise, those that are dead, there's no hope, they're perished. But he did rise. And he says to the church of Thessalonica, by the way, this is what we're waiting on. We're waiting for the trump to sound. And the dead in Christ are going to rise. Then we which are alive and remain, and hopefully that will be us, right? Every generation has said, hey, that's going to be us. That we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You see, if Christ did not rise from the grave, there would be no hope of heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Because he arose, we have the prospect of being in heaven with him for all eternity. The Bible describes heaven in Revelation. No more pain. Aren't you tired of the pain? No more sickness. No more tears. No more crying. Hey, heaven is going to be the most wonderful place. And we can look from this end and we can look and have a prospect of knowing that someday when I die, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus for all eternity because Christ arose. God will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. God wants us to know for sure we're on our way to heaven. Winston Churchill arranged his own funeral. Now, I have teased about arranging my own funeral. I'm going to just chase a little rabbit here for a minute. I'm going to read this Churchill quote, and we'll be finished. But I think it would be cool 
to show a video. I think it would be cool to have assigned seats. Just think about pictures. See, Pastor, you are crazy. I know. But imagine that it's assigned seats. And here I come. Boy, hello, everybody. Brother Talbot, it's so good to see you there. You know, assigned seats. Uh, it'd be cool. But anyway, Churchill, I, I thought, you see, why are you thinking that? Because as soon as I read this about Churchill, I thought, I could arrange for my own funeral. The problem is you'd have to keep updating it, right? And if Talbot decided he didn't want to sit there, he wanted to sit there, it would kind of be, yeah. It would be, you know, it'd be a, it'd be a look, it'd be a funeral you'd never forget, right? Winston Churchill arranged his own funeral. There were stately hymns in St. Paul's Cathedral. There was an impressive scripture reading. When they said the benediction, he arranged for a bugler high in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral on one side to play taps. The universal signal that the day is over. When taps was finished, there was a long pause. And then a bugler on the other side played reveille, the signal of a new day beginning. It was Churchill's way of communicating that while we say good night here, it is good morning up there. And the resurrection gives us the prospect of knowing, no matter what happens here on this earth, I'm going to heaven. This world's not my home. I'm just a passing through. Two questions and we'll be finished. Number one, have you received the message of the resurrection? You see, Pastor, what do you mean? Do you know 100% sure your sins are forgiven? You're on your way to heaven. That's the message of the resurrection. Question number two is this. Jesus in Luke 24 told the disciples, your witnesses. In Acts 1, 2, numbers of chapters. The disciples showed up to a group of people and they said, basically, we're here to communicate. We're here as witnesses of the resurrection because they recognized that the world in which they lived in needed hope. They needed salvation. They needed to know they're on their way to heaven. May God help us to communicate the resurrection to a world that needs it. Let's bow for